Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak and dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now, fueled by self-awareness and pure schadenfreude <laughs> in the Minnesota Vikings' defeat, I'm Earl Cannonbear and or Matt Kittle, investigative reporter for MacGyver Institute. Bill Osmolsky, MacGyver News Director. Ola Lasowski, I would much rather still talk about Star Wars instead of football. <laughs> Chris Rochester, Communications Director. So if it's at the gym, at home, or during a boring conference call, we hope you're <laughs> enjoying the MacIver Report podcast wherever you like to listen. And if you are, be sure to subscribe on any of your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud. We're all over. And if you, if you subscribe... We will make your life easier, and you'll get a notification every time we post a new podcast. What? So, yeah, go ahead and just subscribe. And you will oh, have our crazy. enduring affection. That's right. That's what, we, more important. And we are here to make your life easier. So we please, certainly go, are. please hit subscribe. And now is the perfect time to do just that if you haven't already, because it's your best chance of keeping up with all the news coming out of the state capitol these days. Because just when you think things are about to slow down, the governor calls a special session to deal with welfare reform. Now, Walker's already done quite a bit in this area. His food share employment and training program has helped over 23,000 people on welfare get jobs. Now he wants to up the ante. There are 10 bills in the package he wants the legislature to address. If successful, able-bodied adults with children in school would have to work or train for work during the day. People on medical assistance could open health savings accounts. And earned income tax refunds would be spread throughout the year. Ola, why does the governor hate poor people? <laughs> Sarcasm alert there, of course, for our friends who may or may not need another cup of coffee this afternoon. I certainly do, but that's just kind of my constant state of being. Um, You're always of, chasing that, that, that caffeine dragon now. True. Isn't that true? So, uh, yeah, welfare reform. Listen, that is why people who participate in these kinds of programs in Wisconsin, like the Food Share Employment Training Program you mentioned, it's the biggest one in the state, they see increased wages year over year in some parts of the state approaching double the minimum wage because giving people the tools they need to succeed is how everyone becomes more prosperous. Kind of a crazy idea. Yeah. And what's the record we see after several years of Governor Walker's administration really focusing on welfare reform? Clearly that's not going away anytime soon. New unemployment numbers that just came out last week, 3%. That is absolutely rock bottom, folks. The lowest rate since 1973, and I don't mean to brag here, but that is 20 years before I was born. <laughs> so let's just, let's just put it on the table. 3% unemployment, 85 or whatever thousand jobs on the, on the Job Center website. There's no excuse if you're able-bodied, to be sitting on the sidelines. And there's also no excuse for Ola making me feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> Unemployment hasn't been this low since Kittle was a year old. <laughs> All right, that okay. That was a long, I, long time I, ago. I get it, but no, to, to Chris's broader point, 
Absolutely right. You know, the work, Department of Workforce Development and employment experts will tell you 3%, Ola, that's pretty much full employment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and as Chris mentioned as well, and as of this morning, checking out places like jobcenterofwisconsin.com, we've got 85,000 plus jobs posted in the state. Of course, no one's even going to pretend that's all of them. But, you know, certainly as the governor has repeated time and again, we are at the point where we no longer have an unemployment issue. We have a workforce issue. Clearly the jobs are there, um, but that is exactly why this administration is taking so much effort to now support the workforce, to help people get the skills they need to uh, get these jobs, to compete for them and to thrive. So quite frankly, with the set of bills that the governor put forth last week, as Bill mentioned, that'll be the focus of a special session on welfare reform. This will clearly continue to be a major story. Welfare reform was a major issue of last summer's budget. As we now know, that is not slowing down. We really could spend an entire podcast talking about just this issue. Maybe one day we will. But with so much news this week, we've got to turn to some other issues as well. Bill and Kittle, what have you got for us? <laughs> well, on top of this special session, the Senate was already planning on a big week. They've got, they're going to go vote on... Uh, the appointments of two former GAB workers who want to be entrusted with elections and ethics in the state. Now, man, why do some people have a problem with that? Well, they have a problem with that, Bill, because we see these two guys at varying levels involved in the old Government Accountability Board. And the problem with the Government Accountability Board and why it was disbanded by the state legislature in 2015 is because it wasn't accountable. It wasn't accountable to the legislature, it wasn't accountable to the citizens of Wisconsin, and it certainly wasn't accountable to the people that it uh, abused for years in a secret John Doe investigation. You know, rogue agency seems to be the term that comes to mind. Rogue, rogue agency, but I, I'll tell you, there are some conservatives who look at that and say, rogue agency, rogue is like somebody going off, you know, and, and going on their own. You're right when you say an entire agency. This was the, you know, the, 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 the real questions that remain about the Government Accountability Board, its involvement in the unconstitutional and infamous John Doe investigation, is um, that the, you have the members of the old board, the so-called nonpartisan judges, who either were very partisan or they were completely obtuse and just allowed these rogue agents to go about doing their business, but they're all responsible at some level. Mm -hmm. And you have so many of these different people. Now back to the, the point in question. You had Brian Bell, who is now the interim, elections, excuse me, ethics commission administrator who is going about the business along with his surrogates trying to fight for his job. He's a former GAB employee. You have Michael Haas who is, who is the uh, interim elections administrator and remember ethics and elections replaced GAB after they disbanded. They're, he and his surrogates are trying to save Michael Haas's job in front of the Senate's expected vote on Tuesday this week on whether to confirm these two guys to continue in their position. Now, zeroing in on Michael Haas, he was, he's actually run for office as a Democrat. Yes, twice. And, <laughs> and he was also the lawyer of the GAB when they were transitioning from their criminal investigation to their domestic spying operation. Yes, and that is a very good and apt way to put it. This was a domestic spying oper operation, we also know 
based on a bombshell report from the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin, released the report released uh, in December, that they, they gathered up all of this information and hundreds of thousands of these documents are included in a GAB file called Opposition Research. Hmm. A lot of questions remain, and a lot of questions remain about the involvement of these two men in the John Doe investigation. Now, let's be clear. Brian Bell does have uh, a little different point of view than Michael Haas does. Brian Bell, we are told, was not involved in the GAB. He was not a sworn agent. We are told that Brian Bell did not care for the tactics of the GAB and therefore resigned his position and left and only came back now to lead the Ethics Commission. But still some questions remain about Brian Bell going forward to the legislature and saying, speaking out, this was wrong and you ought to know this at the time. Or Brian Bell and the Ethics Commission holding on to all of these hundreds of thousands of John Doe documents and not raising that point to the Supreme Court of Wisconsin that is supposed to have custody over it. Haas's situation is different in that he was a sworn agent in the John Doe. And despite his protestations and his defenses about being a mere um, minuscule uh, agent or just involved in the periphery of the John Doe, editing court uh, reports and these sorts of things. That is just simply not the case. Yeah. You can go to MacGyverInstitute.com. We'll give you at least three examples that that counter Michael Haas's assertion that nobody could point to anything that the Government Accountability Board or its agents or or Michael Haas himself did that was politically or partisan motivated. So these these two guys are taking different. They're both doing a PR campaign to save their their own hides. But they're, they're obviously two individual people with their own stories. Haas seems to be denied, deflect, distract, and Bell seems to be, you know, throw people under the bus. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, but it doesn't seem like his, his story strains credibility, whereas with Haas, it's like, Dude, it's right there in black and white that yeah. you, were, you were editing subpoenas. And when you say black and white, uh, you can point to all kinds of court documents, email communications, and other electronic communications between the GAB, Michael Haas, Shane Falk, the lead agent for the GAB, and the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, which of course is led by a very partisan Democrat district attorney who just, by the way, had a bit of a grudge, according to multiple other documents and communications, against then Milwaukee County Executive Scott Walker, who became, of course, Governor Scott Walker. Well, I can think of at least one state senator who has very strong feelings about this, considering that the John Doe investigators were reading emails and collecting emails about her having health conversations with her daughter. Yeah, hell hath no fury like someone who finds out uh, she was involved, she was targeted. In, a, in the John Doe investigation. We now have Senator Leah Vukmir, who was no fan of the GAB and the John Doe investigation before. Now the Attorney General's report finds that at least, at least 150 documents, emails, very private communication with Text messages. Text messages. From her cell phone. Yep, from her cell phone between uh, Senator Vukmir and her daughter are being monitored, are being tracked, and being placed in opposition research folders. A lot 
of people need to answer. This week begins the first of the answering So is, it, is there going to be a debate in the Senate, or how is this going to work? Are they going to split the baby, you think, and maybe confirm one and not the other? Are they going to totally fold? I mean, that's the question. I can't tell you if Brian Bell and his supporters have worn down some of the folks in the Senate. Now, the Senate has full responsibility of confirming appointees. Uh, and they're interim position for a reason. And I just quickly want to point out, a lot of uh, the question has come up before about how come the Senate hasn't taken up this confirmation vote? How come they haven't done it for a year and a half? These guys w were, were named to their positions in July of 2016. Well, the reason at the time was it was 2016, an election year. We were transitioning between uh, the old GAB into these new commissions, they needed people who understood how the mechanics of this work. Now, you can argue at the time, and I think a lot of conservatives have, are these two, especially Michael Haas, the right people to lead that transition after what we know? And now we know, of course, a lot more. And that really is why there is a confirmation vote coming up now. It is that Attorney General's report that showed us so much more about the politics involved in this, why there is a vote. And quite frankly, a lot of Republicans, if not all of them in the Senate, have lost whatever faith they had in these two guys. Well, Matt, you always seem to be about neck deep in controversy, and this isn't the only, <laughs> the Senate controversy isn't the only one you've been following. If I'm not neck deep in a bucket of chicken, I'm neck deep <laughs> in controversy. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Right? And that's why you specialize in radio and tech so that no one can, can get a good look I got, at you. I got, I got a face <laughs> and a body for radio. But you're following another controversy in the assembly that played out last week. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, Bill, it seems like the controversy has dissipated, but we'll keep following this. Interesting. And uh, my good colleague, Chris Rochester, went over to a uh, committee hearing, the State uh, Affairs Committee, uh, in the Assembly last week, expecting that he would be reporting on and covering a few uh, bills that were in executive committee. That means that they're going to vote on them to see if they go on now into the, the floor and the scheduling of, of full uh, you know, Assembly vote on these bills. And all of a sudden, Literally, the 11th hour, it was just after 11 o'clock, you find out that legislation uh, that would uh, be a true reform accountability bill, as this is being um, uh, talked about from its supporters, but it, it deals with zero-based budgeting, more so the review, holding every agency in the state, including the legislature and the courts, to periodic reviews so that they can justify every bit of spending, not just from what happened in the budget before, but from the very beginning, to get a detailed look at this. This is a, it's a true accountability bill. This uh, goes a step further in trying to undo what Governor, then Governor Jim Doyle, undid in 2009 when he got rid of zero-based uh, budgeting. And all of a sudden, for reasons that weren't clear to even the committee members, the bill was removed from the executive committee session. Well, I did talk with uh, State Representative Rob Hutton, who is co-author of this bill, along with uh, Senator um, Dave Craig, 
And he was concerned as well. He expressed his concern why this was. The answer that he got was that maybe the, the administration, the governor's administration, was not totally on board, although that didn't seem to ring true. And he started asking questions. Well, we had a chance to talk with State Representative Rob Hutton about all of this. And perhaps some changes that have been made, change of heart on where this bill is ultimately going to go this week. And this is what uh, Representative Hutton had to say. What, what happened? This bill seemed like it was pretty much settled, and then it wasn't. Yeah, it, it certainly does seem that way, Matt, and, and I appreciate you, you having the discussion. You just had on uh, Senator Craig just prior to, as you alluded to that discussion, and Senator Craig being the Senate lead, uh, did a lot of heavy lifting on this legislation, which was really a follow-up to the zero-based budget bill that we passed last session that really provides the constraint for these local agencies who have a very difficult time disciplining themselves regarding spending and growth. And so as the legislature, we're trying to add some of those disciplines, and we went a long way to doing that last session. And, and this bill that Senator Craig worked on that, that I've called off of in the Assembly uh, is really an approved sequel, if you will, because it adds some additional teeth and measurements to what those local agencies have to show every four years to demonstrate that those programs that we continue to fund through our tax dollars still have merit and are still accomplishing what they were intended to and still align with the mission of the agency itself. And so that bill from Senator Craig and I passed through the Senate uh, about two months ago in early October. And so we've been on the assembly side uh, struggling to get it to the floor or to at least, without getting in the weeds, kind of message the Senate bill over to the Assembly. And it was on the floor and scheduled for the 23rd, uh, which is Tuesday of next week. Um, but through some confusion and some wringing of hands, potentially, the, the bill was pulled from the committee where it needed to be exact in the Assembly and then ultimately pulled from the floor schedule for next week, Tuesday, uh, which raised certainly some concerns and some confusion as to uh, what led to that, why was it pulled, and are we still committed to passing, I would argue, one of the most important reform pieces of legislation this session. And so there's been a lot of discussion around that and concern around that that uh, is kind of where we are today. Yeah, so a couple of days later, wh where do things stand? Have you heard any updates from leadership about why this didn't happen and where it goes from here? Because if it's pulled from exec, then it's pulled from the floor. The clock is ticking on a very short uh, winter session. It, it is ticking, Matt, and so I don't know that I have finite answers on why it was pulled from the committee or necessarily from the floor other than concern over whether the governor would support it if it was brought to his desk. Um, and I've had enough discussion, and others have, with the governor's office and administration to be comfortable that uh, the governor does want to see this and, and will support it. Um, what I have heard this morning is that some of that confusion regarding executing on the bill has been cleared up, and the current thought is that this bill will be messaged over, meaning we'll take what the Senate voted on and approved on the floor in early October and simply bring that bill over to the Assembly floor on the 23rd, so next week, Tuesday, and just vote on that bill having been messaged over from the Senate. So what that really means is the bill 
technically has been rescheduled for the 23rd. It does not need to be exact in our committee on the assembly side, so we're kind of omitting that step, and it's not necessary. And so the current commitment from leadership is that we will, in fact, message it over, and the floor and the assembly will vote for it on Tuesday. Uh, that's what I know. Uh, that's the commitment that's been made. Uh, I'm certainly giving leadership the benefit of the doubt at this point, um, but I will be uh, much more encouraged on Tuesday when I see it, in fact, being messaged over uh, to know for sure that that's what we're going to accomplish. All right. Well, while Wisconsin is cruising along in the fast lane, we can't help but notice Washington, at least for the moment, is at a standstill. <laughs> now, the federal government shut down Friday when the Senate failed to approve a spending resolution. This apparently is the only news story the national news media cares about. CNN, in fact, has a clock running on their homepage of how long we've gone without the federal government working. Oh, my gosh. Yes, end of the world. <laughs> Two points I'd like to make up front. First, you've probably heard the claim it costs more to shut down the government than to keep it open. So, I had that, that seems reasonable yeah. at some really strained level. It, it, it's like a big factory, you know. It costs more to turn the machines back on than to turn right. them off. Right, that's why shut down, you yeah. know, and all of that. No, yeah. but I, so I, I started doing a little bit of research on this. I found the political article that explains it. And they say it hurts the economy when the government shuts down. And that means less tax revenue coming in. So... But, you know, they also point out, of course, this is hard to measure. <laughs> so, are, are you, wait a minute, it's very hard to measure. Yeah. And, and, and first of all, do you mean that the IRS will stop demanding that um, they skim off a portion of my earnings every two weeks? They'll stop doing that with the government well, shutdown. I won't have to pay taxes. Well, is that what you're saying? No, no but it, it, what they're, they're essentially saying is that um, the more money that companies make, the more revenue the federal government gets. Oh. So they're kind of making that concession, uh. but they're also saying that you know companies will make less money if the government is shut down because they enable those companies to make that money. They enable them. That's uh, right. It's the Obama yes. thing. You didn't right. do this you didn't, alone. Yeah, you didn't build that. You didn't build that. <laughs> so so I, I mentioned I had two points. The second one is you've also heard that federal workers don't go to work because they're not getting paid. Well, every single time the, the federal government shuts down, the workers come back, and they get back pay for that time, even though they didn't go into work. Also known as a paid vacation. Yeah. Or furlough, if you will. Sign me up. Yeah, Mr. Furlough. Uh, was, by the way, wasn't he on Three's Company, Mr. Furlough? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about so, that. So, no, it's, it's all right. So, I mean, has, uh, the how has the federal government uh, shutdown affected your life, Matt? Uh, well... It hasn't. And let me, I wanted to say this um, for all of the federal employees who may be taking a paid vacation right now and you have some time on your hands. Welcome to the podcast. This is the time <laughs> that you can really, really enjoy the benefits of a free market podcast. And what we want to communicate to you, federal employees who are on paid vacation right now, your job may not be necessary. That's what we may ultimately <laughs> Ow, find out. Oof. I, I, Straight well, to the core, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I think what we may find out from the shutdown is, as we did in 2013, remember necessary, all essential employees? I think we may find out just how non-essential a lot of these folks are. But keep listening to the show. So right, yeah, no, no, no. Go, go to uh, federal employees. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and SoundCloud and click, click subscribe. So, yeah. so I, got, I got to tell you, I mean, I can imagine a little bit of tension among, you know, the federal workforce. Because if I were an essential federal employee and I had to work during the shutdown, yeah. and then, you know, other people don't work and they get paid and I get paid, I might 
feel a little resentment <laughs> towards, you know, well, do I get more since I worked and the government was shut down? Let but. me give you a little more <laughs> resentment and something that, uh, for whatever reason, the mainstream media doesn't want to report. During the press conference on Friday, when we were on the verge of the shutdown and, 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 the, and the United States of America was about to fall into a huge sinkhole, <laughs> right, as it was painted by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, as that was happening, the administration, the Trump administration, came out and said, you know what we're going to do and what we have the authority and power to do? We're going to use carryover funds to pay for a lot of these programs and these agencies and the people therein. They're not going to miss a paycheck at all. But don't They're not going to miss work so the, or so the, operating You're not going to have all. gates and police tape keeping uh, veterans out of the World War II memorial No, this but time? that is exactly what happened. And I can give you a firsthand experience of this. I forgot to tell you guys about this. This is, this is my government shutdown impact story. It didn't impact me, but my father-in-law in 2013, who retired and was enjoying the benefits of his <laughs> labors, was going out to uh, see a number of national monuments out west. And at every turn, he had that experience. It was closed off, police, you know, guards keeping you away. You couldn't go in there. And man, he was mad at anybody who was, you know, he said, I just want to go in and see this. This yeah. I had this plan on my vacation. Now they're shutting down the no, government. They turned it off. You know, the geysers weren't going on. The geysers off weren't going. They're supposed to go off. <laughs> you know, old Faithful was unfaithful. It was terrible. But here's the thing. They didn't need to do a lot of that stuff. Obama, the president at the time, did that to weaponize the shutdown. Okay, and so Trump is going to do the opposite, it sounds like. I heard Mick Mulvaney right. uh, saying, that, you know, this is how we're going to proceed with this. We're going to try to make it as least un as unpainful as possible. Yeah. Um, so, are we going to be in the awkward position if this drags out of thanking Chuck Schumer for the hashtag Schumer shutdown? <laughs> hey, thank you for showing that we don't need that X small, relatively small X percent of the of the government in the first uh, place. I'll tell you what. If we do, I'll be the first to write the thing. <laughs> if, if, if we can limit the size and scope of government even just a bit from this whole experience. I'm all in. Oh, I'm sending flowers. Oh. <laughs> and then Chuck Schumer can't say to you anymore, you don't send me flowers anymore. There you go. Now, now, of course, it doesn't really matter that the government is shut down because the world ended last month anyway. Oh, that's right. Didn't you get the so, memo? So, although, I mean, we know, how the, we know how the economy supposedly reacts to the government shutdown. How is mm -hmm. the economy reacting to Armageddon? That's right. Uh, this is a story that we just keep on coming back to. America's Armageddon. We are talking tax cuts, folks. Now, from the looks of it, we're just going to have to go ahead and make this a regular weekly segment on our podcast. So. so just plan for that because week after week, these incredible announcements just keep coming in. Uh, last week, we talked about Walmart and their move to raise the wages of more than a million people. And this week, we are going to a pretty different company. You may have heard of them, uh, straight out of Cupertino, California. That is the one and only Apple. That's right. Last week, the maker of the iPhone announced that it would give employee bonuses of $2,500 worth of restricted stock units to many employees, which of course could grow to become worth much much more than $2,500. Knowing Apple's track record. Yeah. <laughs> Considering Apple's, Apple's the reason I'm building a time machine in my basement on the weekends. <laughs> I thought that was Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so considering the fact Apple stock has just about tripled in value over the last five years, you know, that's worth something. Uh, that company will also hire 
20,000 new employees, spend $30 billion in additional capital expenditures in this country over five years, a slew of other really exciting announcements, including a massive investment in STEM education programs, including coding uh, education, uh, $4 billion to a fund that's billioned with, billion with a B that will help U.S. manufacturers innovate and expand. They're also, as an aside, you know, building a brand new campus. <laughs> so at this point, you really have to kind of just sit back and let it sink in because in most other news cycles, this announcement would absolutely dominate the headlines for weeks. Blink and you may have missed it. Another company, Humana, the health insurance giant, announced that they are raising starting wages for full and part-time employees to $15 per hour. They are increasing performance-based incentives, which sounds a lot like spot bonuses for employees that do a good job. Uh, and they've said that they will soon be announcing even more investments, including community investments surrounding our senior population, tech investments, increased benefits. As I have said in the past, folks, this is the real fight for 15. So, so uh, you, you and your trickle-down economics. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, it is raining in that So right? I'm betting that a lot of those Humana, the $15 Humana, uh, I, I, I'm betting a lot of that goes to people who work in call centers. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, That's right. I've worked in a call center. You don't make fifteen dollars an hour normally. It's like more like eleven dollars an hour, and those jobs suck. So, <laughs> you know, these are this is kind of the new, uh, you know, the new low-level manufacturing job. You know, decades right. ago, this yeah. is what people do if you're not highly skilled, highly educated. You often go into jobs like that. So, making fifteen dollars an hour, realizing what uh, the left has been pushing the fifteen dollars or bust. All of this sort of stuff, as you say, this is this is the real campaign. That's right. Uh, we have companies giving massive bonuses, stock, retirement Massive plans, crumbs. Just ask Nancy. The crumbs. crumbs. No, so, so, so what you have just described is the U.S. economy just totally shutting down, just totally sure. paralyzed from these right. tax cuts. And Absolutely. Is that it? That is it. Okay. You know, that is it. That is what happens when you give the money back to the people let companies do this on their own and raise the tide what for the, everyone. One of these days you're gonna have to just take a different tack on this segment and tell us what it's like to go out into the charred ruins left behind after the, <laughs> the cataclysmic disaster of, of tax cuts. I just want, to I want a special report from the uh, from the destruction that was created from this tax. Yeah, I mean, do you Listen. have to climb over like charred rubble? Yeah. Or, or do you it'll just... be like the it'll be like the day after. You know? <laughs> Let me put it this way: I am already lacing up my boots for that segment. <laughs> Sounds good. I, I just wanted to make the point on the on the Apple announcement: three hundred and fifty billion dollars. There's uh, something like two point six trillion or so of of American. Money. Gosh, that's American right. I companies. didn't even mention that. There's so much to say. I didn't even mention. So that. I want to take a little bit of a different point of view here. If 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 you're a liberal and all you really care about is the government having more money, you're talking about tens of billions of dollars of revenue when these companies repatriate this money and bring it back into the country right. at the 10% mm -hmm. repatriation rate. You know, so if you're a liberal, you should be thrilled. The government's going to have billions and billions and billions of dollars and more money. The real Armageddon that is occurring in this country right now over the last couple of weeks in particular is the Armageddon, the destruction, the mass destruction of every liberal argument against <laughs> people being able to keep more of their own money. 
mind blown. So to wrap up this segment, one thing I've got to say, I'm not sure if I've uh, taken the moment to shout out to our friends at Americans for Tax Reform who are doing just a wonderful job uh, keeping track of all of this news. ATR.org has a running list of all the companies giving pay raises, bonuses, other great contributions in light of federal tax reform. So we highly, highly recommend you pay them a visit. Great work there. And if I could just uh, quickly, I in speaking with uh, Grover Norquist, president of ATR, uh, a week or so ago on the radio, he did want to bring home the point that this isn't just about Apple. This isn't just about Walmart. It's Absolutely. not just about the massive companies. He wants to hear from companies in Wisconsin, companies mm -hmm. at, wherever you are at, you're listening to this podcast, you work for a company, you are uh, in leadership in a company, and you have a story to tell about what the impact that you are seeing in terms of the, the tax cuts. ATR wants to hear about those too, and you can find them and, and submit your stories. They'll tell your stories at ATR.com. That's right. And I'm looking at some of those stories right now on this list from all around the country. Uh, one company in Virginia giving uh, raises to all 16 of their employees, mm -hmm. you know. Right. Um, Kansas City Southern, $1,000 bonuses. Uh, one company out of California, family-owned company, giving each of their six employees a $2,000 tax reform bonus. Nice. You know, it is the big stuff as well as the small stuff, folks. It really, really is. All right, so heading back to Madison, we do have a really big week ahead. I mean, we've already mentioned it. The Senate's going to be on the floor on Tuesday. But assembly then, as well. The assembly as well, thank you. And then we also have the governor's state of the state address on Wednesday. Right. Um, so let's go, Chris, what are your predictions? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that at some point the governor will say the state of the state is strong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say probably right away. Any disagreement <laughs> on it? Probably not. Yeah, yeah I, I think, I, so. I think yeah. those are the same. Th those words have been in every single state of the state address Ever. for the past yeah hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you get a, you know you get a real Debbie Downer as governor. <laughs> the state of the state is not That's good. Fine. Something like that. No, and, and the state of the state is, I mean, he's got a good case to make that the state of the state is really strong. Uh, unemployment rate uh, was announced. This is all on our website. You'll find the good news. 3% unemployment rate, the lowest rate we mentioned in, you know, in decades, since 1973. Uh, state surplus is uh, very strong. We, announced, uh, the, we <laughs> did a story last week uh, on the announcement that uh, we have $385 billion as a state in uh, the surplus. In the rain, uh, rainy day fund, I, I imagine this will come up too, this comes up all the time, because we're actually putting money uh, as a state into the rainy day fund now, 38 million more with this new announcement mm -hmm. uh, that the rainy day fund is going to get. Uh, I'm sure the governor will mention the historic investment in K through 12 that was part of the budget last year. Uh, no doubt he'll also mention the welfare reform that we talked about earlier in the show. That's a major push, and this is something I think the governor really feels in his, in his heart of hearts is, is important, whether it's an election year or not, that welfare reform and getting people into the workforce and off of government dependence is just good for the people and it's good for the state too. I think a lot of people in the state feel that way. And a lot of well. people, yeah, and it just happens to also be a winning political issue, especially when a lot of people are, almost everyone's got a job working and not understanding why this, we got to subsidize people not <clears throat> working out to work. And then of course, uh, over the weekend, the announcement was made that the governor's going to take some steps to try to fix Obamacare in the state. Premiums went up 36% last year on the individual market. 
the governor made the point that uh, for group health insurance, for employer-sponsored health insurance, which is where most people get their coverage, it's uh, under 5% increase. So I think there's an attempt there to bring some, some, some parity between the individual market increases and, and private employer. Is this, Chris, do you think the state of the state address will be reform dividend 2.0? You recall last year that right. was the theme of the governor's speech, that at that time we were looking at a budget and a budget process, and he wanted to, to do some ambitious initiatives, roll out some ambitious initiatives with the surpluses, with the, the money, the additional money, saved from things like Act 10 and welfare reform, what, whatever the case may be, where we have savings, realized government savings, because of government reforms. Do you see more of that tenor in the speech this week? Well, I'd bet the term reform dividend comes up, and uh, he'll, he'll certainly harken back to last year's speech where, like you said, there was a budget that was coming down the line, and the reform dividend was what they were gonna put into state government programs like K through 12. And I think this year we're, we're gonna hear an update on what the reform dividend has, has, has achieved, you know, K through 12 education we mentioned, uh, and all the other good news for the state. Right. Yeah, we're gonna definitely hear- Revenue forecasts, wouldn't revenue be forecast. surprised if he didn't bring that up. Yeah, and, and and the big thing I think we all forgot about here, I mean, it, you know, it, there's, there's the F word. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to drop the F word. No, Foxconn, get ah. your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> get your mind, Foxconn. Foxconn, and, and <laughs> well, you know, working and winning for Wisconsin is a phrase they like to use. Right. And, uh, so, yeah, right, I mean, 13,000 jobs, and we're going to be seeing shovels in the ground this year. Jeez, this is going to be a long state of the state address. I mean, you spend half of it, you know, introducing all your special guests. And, yeah, you know. it's a good thing you start in the <laughs> afternoon. You'll be going still late into the night, yeah. talking about all, well, all the different things. Better not there. go too long. Me and my boy got to get over to the uh, to, to see the stars over at the planetarium that Ooh. night. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, big plans, big plans. Well... Ola, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this is also School Choice Week. And you True. focus yes. on education policy, so <laughs> this is kind of right up your alley. Yeah, it's kind of my thing. Um, yeah, so it is School Choice Week nationwide, all around the country. People are raising awareness of the importance not only of opportunity in education, but also the rights of parents and families to choose the best option for them. Tens of thousands of kids using the various forms of educational choice in the state of Wisconsin that of course ranges from voucher programs to charter schools to public school open enrollment, regular private schools, and others. Uh, Governor Walker has weighed in proclaiming this week Wisconsin School Choice Week. Uh, Another prediction going back to our last segment, I'm sure he'll mention that again during State of the State on Wednesday. Uh, historically, the governor has been quite supportive of these efforts, expanding private uh, choice programs statewide for the first time just a couple years ago. And again, going back and increasing those income limits just this last budget, letting more families participate in those programs. Uh, there are quite a few events for School Choice Week in Wisconsin all around the state. And rest assured, we will be highlighting some of those stories this week all the, on our social media channels. So make sure to stay tuned in to the MacGyver Institute's Twitter and Facebook, which of course I'm sure every last one of you already is. Especially you government workers on paid furlough. <laughs> That's right. And of course, staying on the topic of education as we're summing up the week ahead, coming up this week in the assembly are a few different 
big education bills. We're talking, I am going to be spending my whole afternoon in that hearing room <laughs> along with many, many other people. Uh, one of those bills, pretty cool idea, an education savings account for gifted and talented kids. That's uh, not something that we've seen in this state before, so I'm really looking forward to the debate on that. Another bill is one that the governor announced just a few weeks ago and was officially scheduled for a public hearing this week. We've got all of assembly leadership on this one. It was a huge issue. Last summer in the budget, the governor vetoed out these changes, and now he's coming back to them. That bill would raise sparsity aid funding per pupil from $300 to $400. It would also uh, quite significantly raise the low revenue adjustment for school districts uh, from $9,100 per pupil as it stands today, slowly increasing that over several years until it reaches $9,800. Major caveat on that, of course, and this is not something that we saw during the budget process. Uh, so this, this, is, this is a brand new idea that came out here. If the voters have rejected a revenue limit increase in the last three years, that means that their school board asked voters at the polls if they could spend more tax dollars locally and the voters said no, the limit will stay at that same number. Districts will not levy any more money over that and that would be a provision that would go forward. Uh, let me tell you, I am really looking forward to diving into this issue on next week's podcast. Uh, we're gonna give you full coverage of how that went. Just simply no time to get to it today uh, between Senate session, Assembly session, Tuesday, not to mention all of these committee hearings. Gosh, the, the GAB and all the John Doe issues. Um, so all of that to say, we will be back folks and make sure to tune in next week who knew this quiet winter session would get so busy <laughs> and, and Ola, you, you you completely forgot about one of the more exciting bills that they uh that they have been uh they've already gone through hearing about what's that involving mps schools and taking care of teachers in the classroom my gosh yeah just what is that a week and a half ago yeah. it feels like ancient history yeah, right. <laughs> that's right the teacher protection act of course we've got uh, plenty of coverage on that both on previous podcasts and several stories we put out uh efforts to help teachers be more empowered in the classroom and defend themselves, quite frankly, and if they are in a violent situation where they get assaulted, which we know that students are have some violence issues yeah. and that teachers are getting assaulted while they're on the job, they're not allowed to leave, they're not allowed to remove these kids from the classroom without suspending them. Uh, you just got me going all over again, Billy. <laughs> it's all right, I mean, we, we, we addressed this in uh, last week's MacGyver News Minute, so... Uh, Matt, you had more on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, the, just to pick up where Ola left off, th this is a very uh, interesting bill, um, and it really stems from some very good reporting that, that occurred from a colleague of mine at uh, News Talk 1130 WISN, Dan O'Donnell, who did an excellent uh, investigative report called Blood on the Blackboard. He talked to teachers who really were uh, uh, assaulted in the classroom and and told their stories and he also testified uh, as you said uh, nearly two weeks ago now before the the legislature 
this bill has uh, a lot of defenders, certainly by the teachers who do feel threatened in their classrooms, but it also has some uh, in the legislature who do not support it and fear that it will be uh, counterproductive, as they put it. And this is what uh, we talked about in the latest MacGyver News Minute. This is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. A federal Department of Education report in 2012 showed 11.3% right to feel safe in the classroom. The idea is that schools are a place to learn, not a free pass to disrupt, threaten, and assault. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. It's obviously a very important issue. It's, a, it's an employment issue, a workplace issue. Teachers deserve to have, to feel safe at work. If, if there's any basic right in the workplace, it's to feel safe and to not not be under the threat of violence. And you, you not to mention the other kids who are trying to learn. Exactly, and losing time in the classroom and also not feeling safe when they see their teacher assaulted. This is important stuff, no doubt about it. And you can listen to the MacIver News Minute on News Talk uh, 1130 WISN every Tuesday and Thursday. Don't miss it. Well, don't miss a minute of the next podcast. As Ola pointed out and this fine, hardworking staff pointed out, we have a lot to accomplish in the days ahead. We will report back on all of that, and I'm sure there will be some surprises along the way. Until then, if I can use the term du jour, we are now officially in a podcast shutdown. <laughs> See you next but we week. We will not get paid furloughs. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. Take care.